Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, February 2nd, 2021, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Well, Mercury is retrograde until February 20th, and you can read about that online or on our site, but generally it's a good time to reflect, uh, finish up old things, and do internal work, but it's not a good time to start anything new, buy electronics, and communications can be faulty. So we sent out the invitations to the Starseed Quests just before Mercury went retrograde, and the response has been tremendous. We have four upcoming in 2021, and the May Quest is already full, while the October, I mean August, October, and November Quests are about half full. These are soul family reunions, and all you need is one galactic marking on your chart, which would be the 25, 26, or 27 degree uh, placements. And we have several people who signed up for the 2020 quests who didn't get to come, so they're carried over. And if you are one of those people, we are holding some spots for you, but you'll need to email us um, right away at crystals, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S, at starseedhotline.com to claim those spots. Or if you just want more details, you can also email us there. Our special guest this evening is Jenna Dute, and since 2007, a full-time resident of southern France, also known as Cathar Country. Jenna is not only an author, but also a tour guide in southern France and tour organizer in Greece, and a passionate photographer and producer at Pan-Occitania Media. Since early childhood, she enjoyed studying the lost history of civilization, the first centuries of Christianity, Gnosis, and mysticism. With her adventure novels, which were published worldwide in English, she has already drawn many people to beautiful Occitania, France, with its many mysteries, forgotten history, and stunning Lord of the Ring-like landscapes. In 2012, she was interviewed for a world-famous TV documentary called Himmler and the Holy Grail, giving her a page on IMDb. In 2019, she was involved as a guide for the successful History Channel documentary series, The Lost Relics of the Knights Templar, and that was episode four. Again in 2020, she was part of the second series for the History Channel, explaining several secrets at the cave at Gallimus. Jenna has been a guest on many radio shows across the globe. And there is a book tour and a retreat uh, coming in 2022 to Santorini, which will be based on her novel about the Atlantis myth. In 2015, Jenna became a member of the ITW, which is International Thriller Writers Organization, uh, following the advice of New York Times bestselling author Steve Barry. Her first book is now renamed the Forbidden Relic, and its sequel, The Eye of Ra, were published on Kindle um, eBook in 2016. Now, the third book of her time travel trilogy, The Ringing Rocks of Atlantis, was published last year uh, on Kindle and also in eBook. And you can find out more about her and her work at her website, which is jennadute.com. 
and Jenna is spelled J-E-A-N-N-E, what we would pronounce here in America as Jean, and the last name is D-A-O-U-T. So JennaDoot.com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds not heard in the mainstream. We'd like to thank Kathy and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight. Um, if Jenna is able to uh, be with us into the wee hours because she's in France, so it's going to be like 2 o'clock in the morning for her. So we'll have to kind of play that by ear. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it is a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy and her continual dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here, and you'll get our biweekly show notice if you enable those. Now, our main website is starseedhotline.com, and the Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. Now, Lavendar sessions have been redesigned to focus on your solar return, uh, but also cover your natural state, your rites of passage and masterships, as well as covering your solar return and your current transits. It's like having the whole enchilada in a one-hour session, which will be scheduled just before your birthday. Um, And if you've been listening to our show, you do know about the global starseed activation that's been going on for two years. And um, consequently, the waiting time for Stage 2 sessions is still about five or six months, and the Stage 1 wait time is finally shrinking. Uh, But I think we're still looking at about 18 to 20 weeks for new readings, uh, confirmation readings, or possibly less. So um, we're going to do a radio show when Mercury goes direct to introduce our new team for you as soon as we uh, get the website updated to include them, and that's just a matter of having the time to do it. So right now we're just focusing on doing the readings. So um, remember, if you do have a birthday coming up, you're going to get a window of 10 hours of power. And you can find out exactly when it happens by requesting your solar return timing. And that is, uh, that's just running the chart with the time. So that takes less than a week. But if you want that chart to be interpreted in a live session, you do need to order it six months ahead of your birthday. And with Lavendar, she'll be booking for all birthday months. So uh, first up tonight, I would like to start off by introducing Anastasia, and then after the news, we'll bring our guest on. So let me just get those buttons clicked for the Starseed News. (laughs) Hello, Ariel. Good evening, everybody. It's great to be with you tonight. It's a cold one here where I am. We're kind of in the throes of winter, but... You know, the nice thing about February is March is the next month on the list. So yeah, it's just around the corner. We can get through this. We've got a lot of good news tonight, so I want to start by telling you about a dog. I love dogs, and this dog got a biker's attention to help save a baby that was ad- abandoned in a dump site. About a uh. month ago, uh, this man was riding his motorcycle through the mountains near the Cebu, Philippines, when a dog came running after him and kept on barking. Well, it was seemingly desperate to get the biker's attention, so the dog barked and barked like he was trying to tell him something and made this guy stop the motorcycle. He then got off his bike and he approached this young dog 
and it led him to a dump site. And to his astonishment, quote, I found a baby wrapped in a brown towel. The location where the baby was found is isolated since it's on the top of the mountain, said a local authority. On the top of a mountain. Well, this guy picked up the baby. I managed to get to hold it on his motorcycle. He rushed it to the nearest police station. Representatives of the Department of Social Welfare in the Philippines stepped in to provide for the needs and care for the baby. Well, as for the man himself, well, he since uh, gained overwhelming support from his local community, and they're giving him and his struggling family food donations and pet supplies. Now, the dog, come to find out, is named Blackie, and he's a very important part of the local family there in the Philippines. Quite, quite the story. This dog found help for this baby. That's Aww. just amazing. That's amazing. I guess the baby's going to be okay. They didn't say anything about it not being all right. So, wow. What are the odds? I mean, that's amazing. Just think about that. And from dogs to cats, let's talk about cats. Um, A 32-year-old chef was out for a walk in Scotland. He was in the Cairngorms National Park uh, with his little boy and a friend. And they saw a group of sheep circling something. And as they drew closer, the sheep scattered, but it revealed a tiny, tiny tabby kitten lying in the snow. Well, this little feline was unable to get on its feet. It looked like it was freezing. Its coat was all matted with snow. And not wanting to leave it alone like that, the man carried it three miles back to town. He said its claws were like miniature razors, and he joked with his friends that this little cat must be a Scottish wildcat, which is very rare uh, in the Highlands. Well, after it was left at the vets on Wednesday, he began posting on Facebook groups, but no owner came forward. So He and his kids planned to get a cat bed and rehome the kitten. They were going to keep him, and they were going to name the kitten Huntley. But the very next day, the vet called and confirmed that an animal specialist had, in fact, identified this wee kitty as, guess what, a Scottish wildcat. There are only about 100 of these species left in Scotland, the only wild member of the cat family in the U.K., and it's also one of the most endangered mammals in Europe. Well... He can't keep the kitty now. It's it's an endangered wildcat. But because of his bond with his kitten, he's uh, started a fundraiser to raise money for a charity that's going to help other wildcats. And that has raised more than $6,800 so far. So if you'd like to help out, you can donate at the GoFundMe site. They've started on behalf of Huntley, the, what they were going to name this cat. So go to GoFundMe and look for the Scottish wildcat named Huntley. H-U-N-T-L-E-I-G-H. You'll be helping all the wildcats in the U.K. I think that's a wonderful story. So, well, a a discovered endangered animal and a discovered baby. Mm. Maybe they have something in common, but that is an amazing story. Now, in in Japan, talk about things being rescued and coming out of the the depths of uh, unknown territory here, uh, they've discovered a shrub species that was thought to be extinct for almost 100 years. How did it happen? Well, a group of um, uh, scientists, okay, researchers, were out uh, scrounging around in the woods uh, to study the growth of plants in an evergreen forest, and they came across a colony of an unfamiliar plant species. They took a sample to the lab, and then the researchers there realized that what they'd recently discovered was a dwarf shrub species of the nettle family, and they believed that those plants had been extinct in Japan for 100 years. According to a professor of plants 
He said this plant was uh, last seen on the island in 1924. They say it's a sub, uh, subshrub species, and it's among the 28 species that are extinct or on a red list that's issued by Japan's Environment Ministry. So they're not extinct. What do you know? Maybe they wow. will find a way to protect these plants and, and uh, keep propagating them. That's just sort of happenstance. Somebody stumbles across something, and lo and behold, there it is. In Panama, um, there has been a landmark legal ruling from the Panama Supreme Court that has ceded much of the largest nature reserve in Central America to the indigenous peoples. They're going to get 400,000 acres of pristine ancestral forest. But wait till you hear the rest of the story. They're called the Nassau Tribe, and they will share management responsibilities of 400,000 acres of land after the court granted them authority to create what's called a comarca, a semi-autonomous tribal kingship in two parks. Now, these Nassau live in small villages in northwest Panama where they practice subsistence farming and they maintain their own forests, their own language, and their own culture. Now, during the 20th century, several Panamanian tribal groups were granted comarcas, including the Guna and the Embera and the Wunan peoples. Now, this is a deeply rainforested country. The biological diversity of Panama has been safeguarded through much of the industrial age because of the stewardship and legal rights of uh, Panama's nearly half a million indigenous folks. And they exercise legal authority for forest preservation. And sometimes the government gives them funding. They tell us that this is a forest of tremendous biodiversity, largely unexplored by science. It's sitting on an important biological corridor through which species from North and Central America mingle in the Columbia, with those in Colombia just to the south. This particular forest contains five species of big cats and hundreds of birds, including the resplendent Quetzal, Quetzal, Quetzalcoatl. That is the locus point for many Mesoamerican mythological beliefs. So there really was a Quetzalcoatl bird. There is, to this day, the Quetzal is what it's called. And it's in this forest that's been given back over to the indigenous peoples for protection and for care. That is a big breakthrough, particularly given what's happened <laughs> to the rainforest. And speaking of the rainforest, Amazon tribes are excited now because you know what they're doing? They have employed the use of drones to detect illegal logging in the Brazilian rainforest. And this is an important story. Indigenous rights groups and uh, uh, other international groups are beginning to train Andean tribespeople deep within the Amazon rainforest to use drones so that these people, as forest-dwelling specialists, can help protect wildlife and identify, compile evidence for, and report on illegal logging activities. Now, they teamed up with a civil society made of biologists, foresters, cartographers, anthropologists, specialists in healthcare and information technology, and journalists to run a drone operating course for five separate indigenous tribes in western Brazil. And with the drones, these tribes have been able to create high-resolution images and so on, uh, including GPS coordinates of logging sites that are illegal because illegal logging is one of the major causes of the wildfires that are being experienced in the Amazon over the last 24 months as cattle ranchers are burning down forest to make way for pasture land. And they say this 
technology is amazingly uh, well accepted by these indigenous peoples because it gives them greater capacity to utilize their ancestral knowledge of the forest to protect it from loggers and, and those that burn uh, the forest for, to make room for cows. Uh, they say the drone project, which costs as little as $2,000 for equipment and training per group, helps tip the balance back towards the tribes and back towards nature. Oh, now, there is a, a good example of technology well used. And that is about the indigenous tribes to the south. What about the north? This is something really happening. You know, these are uh, these are kind of like pulse points for what the future might look like as the world begins to convert, uh, uh, change positively towards the old ways and correct some of our abusive nature as we as the Western world has uh, conducted itself. So up north in Canada, the largest indigenous-owned solar farm has just been opened in the northern Alberta, Alberta community of Fort Chippewan. Now, this solar farm is supplying 2.2 megawatts of solar electricity for three First Nation tribes, and it will decrease the reliance of this community on the diesel-fired plant that has supplied them for decades. It's, joined by, it's uh, jointly owned by three tribes. It's called Three Nations Energy, and it was established to bring about low-cost, low-carbon energy to help these uh, uh, natives survive and also to mitigate climate-related threats um, to help the environment. One of the chiefs said, I like this. He said, we work with the sun, we work with the wind, and we work with Mother Nature, and we work the water for the children of the future to give them a better life, a cleaner life. Now, this is a little community of just 1,000 people. Until now, Fort Chippewan's got their necessary 3 million liters of diesel a year from fuel trucks that uh, drove up ice roads that were icy through summertime or by river barge. So a lot of effort went into getting them the fuel that they needed for their power. But now uh, they have 5,760 solar panels that will contribute to their power demand. And since they're in the subarctic, they don't have much daylight. So their need for energy is less, perhaps, than somebody in Florida, for sure. They said this is a very proud moment for all of us. We've worked together very hard uh, throughout these years to create this solution. So that, that's wonderful. I mean, that's so progressive. And yeah. here, is, here is a wonderful story I wanted to share with you because it shows that sometimes corporations can respond to the needs of people instead of themselves. Uh, a teenager who has cerebral palsy uh, persuaded Nike to create shoes that didn't require hands to put them on. There was a 16-year-old boy with cerebral palsy who wrote a letter to Nike asking why they did not make sneakers for people with disabilities. Because for this boy, tying his own shoes has been a major challenge in his life. He wrote a letter to Nike explaining that it was his dream to go to college without worrying about someone having to tie his shoelaces day in and day out. I wanted to share this letter with you. He wrote, My dream is to go to the college of my choice without having to worry about someone coming to tie my shoes every day. I've worn Nike basketball shoes all my life. I can only wear this type of shoe because I need ankle support to walk. At 16 years old, I'm able to completely dress myself, but my parents still have to tie my shoes. As a teenager who's striving to become totally self-sufficient, it's extremely frustrating and at times embarrassing that I can't do this myself. Well, 
the letter made it up the ranks in Nike and inspired a Nike designer to create a shoe that would address this specific need. He got a hold of the young boy uh, and considered him to be just an average athlete. Um, he approached him like that, and they created a shoe, and they've introduced it uh, just recently. They have created a shoe that has a bi-stable hinge that enables the shoe to be secure in fully open and fully closed states. It can be put on without no shoelaces. Doesn't require shoes to get it or fingers to get it on, and it's going to be available for all handicapped people who have trouble with shoelaces later this year. So there you go. Corporate yeah. the corporations heard and listened, and the boy uh, inspired. He reached out and asked. You don't know till you ask, do you? Right. Well, in France, here's a very. Uh, I think this is quite the story. Talk about good coming around. A man has left millions of dollars to a French village that hid his family from Nazis. This man is an Austrian man. He fled the Nazis with his family during World War II, and he left part of his fortune to the French village whose residents helped hide them. The benefactor died at 90 years old in December, and he wrote the surprise gift into his will for a little village named Le chabon sur which is a commune in south-central France. Now, he left a large amount in his will, which was previously undisclosed, but it's leaked out now that it was $2.5 million. And the city, this, the, the village, is going to use the money to fi- fund education for, for youth. Now, this little town has a population of 2,500 people, but it has a reputation as a place of refuge, dating back to the French Protestant Huguenots who fled religious persecution during the 17th century. That was quite a war, by the way. That was really something. And... Also, the town was recognized by Israel for its extraordinary effort in protecting Jewish refugees from the occupying Nazis. So all these years, this man felt gratitude for this little village. And what do you know? He remembered them in his will. And you've all heard about the GameStop deal. Wow, that's really been all over the news if you turn it on at all. Well, this is one investor who used his GameStop gains to help sick children. In Dallas, a GameStop investor is using his proceeds to do good deeds for others, among other things, and he, he wishes to remain anonymous. Good for him. Uh, he delivered 10 Nintendo Switch game consoles purchased from GameStop <laughs> around Dallas-Fort Worth to Medical City Children's Hospital last week on Thursday. Uh, he said that his efforts were made possible by these trading gains. Uh, he said he made a good amount through Wall Street bets and felt inspired to give back in a way that was helpful. He said that his hope is to convince others from the Reddit forum, otherwise known as R Street, uh, Wall Street Bets, to give back their investment gains in a similar way uh, and to turn this GameStop short sale into a force for good. That's inspiring. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yes. Don't be greedy. Spread it around. Right. Uh, well, uh, you know, we've in the past talked about birds that have showed up, uh, shown up maybe where they haven't been seen or shown up maybe where they shouldn't. Well, a snowy owl has been spotted in Central Park for the first time in 130 years and just in time for all that snow in New York. It was spotted in New York Central Park, and according to the collection manager of the Department of Ornithology at the American Museum of Natural History, that sounds pretty official, doesn't it? We, he ought yeah. to know. He said the last sighting of a snowy owl in Central Park dates back to 1890. There was a photograph of this owl. It is gorgeous. Oh. Snowy owl in Central Park, where they're now getting quite a bit of snow. 
All right, a couple more stories here I want to share with you. A billionaire has launched a drug company, if you can believe it, to offer, if you can believe it, low-cost versions of high-cost drugs, if you can believe it. (laughs) This billionaire has launched a generic drug company called the March Cuban Cost Plus Drug Company. The company says it's dedicated to producing low-cost versions of high-cost drugs and pledges to provide radical transparency in how we price our drugs. This company will publish for the public to read the cost to manufacture, distribute, and market its drugs to pharmacies. They're going to add a 15% margin to the wholesale prices. They want to make sure that they remain profitable. But there's no hidden costs, no middleman, no rebates for insurance companies. Everybody gets the same low price of every drug they make. They hope to introduce more than 100 drugs by the end of 2021, as well as build a pharmaceutical factory in Dallas by 2022. The company says, our goal is that everyone should be everyone should be able to afford their medicine, end quote. Really? Wow. See, y'all, the trends are turning. Everybody seems to be growing a conscience all of a sudden. It's wonderful. Keep up yeah. the good work. The world is shifting if it's creaking along a little inch at a time. But, you know, <clears throat> it opens the way. It's like a break in a dam. Remember the story about uh, the boy and the dike? You know, right. sprung a little leak. Well, uh, I think that we're starting to have a leak of consciousness onto the social fabric. People are beginning to think in new ways and um, beginning to care again. So, wow, let's just let that flood happen. Here's another example. A New York cleaning woman was given a gift of a penthouse by the residents who live there. This is a hardworking cleaning lady in New York City that came upon hard times recently during the pandemic, of course, and she was gifted an apartment thanks to all the people that live in the building where she worked. Now, her name is Rosa, and she thought that she was being taken up the elevator to an apartment that she was supposed to clean. But instead, she was shocked to learn that the four-bedroom, three-bathroom penthouse was all hers. Because when the residents heard that she'd fallen on hard times, they pitched in and bought her a two-year lease. The real estate agent said to the girl, the woman, the people that live here have been telling me a lot about your contributions to this building, and a lot of people here in this building are a big fan of yours. You're very well loved. It's been a tough year for you and your family, and there's a lot of hardship. I have a contract here for a two-year lease on this unit that your fans knock together. They're taking care of, of all of it, and all you have to do is sign and take the keys. Wow. And the Royal Canadian Mounted Police to the rescue again. Members of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police went above and beyond the call of duty to help an elderly woman stay warm this winter. Uh, Mounted Police officers responded to a call to assist paramedics at a residence in the small village of Midway, British Columbia. An elderly man was taken to the hospital uh, when one of the officers decided to take it upon himself to visit the house and check on the old man's wife and what he found was heartbreaking. The officer walked in and interrupted the elderly woman as she was in the process of chopping up her household furniture to burn in the home's wood stove to keep warm. The officer immediately rounded up the other troops who traveled into the back country to chop wood, which they sorted, split, delivered, and stacked for this old lady. He Aww. said he hopes the news of this act of kindness will encourage more people to step up and help others in need. And that's not all. A COVID bandit left $1,400 in tips for staff at a restaurant. This happened in Colorado. 
the place is called Notch Top Bakery and Cafe, and the owner said the customer came into the restaurant last Wednesday for breakfast. When he received his bill, he asked the waitress how many people were working that day. Well, why did he need to know that? Because he added up in his head how many people times $200 each, and he left a tip of $1,400 with instructions to give each of the seven employees $200. The owner said this brought tears to all of us. And the cooks, you know, nobody ever thinks of cooks. The cooks were just so surprised and shocked. We were all shocked. We did thank him, but we didn't feel like we did did it enough. Wow. It shows the receipt in the article, and it's really sweet. He said, COVID sucks. He said, have a happy day. Here's $1,400. Make sure each person that worked today gets gets $200 each. And he, he drew a smiley face. Ah. And finally, our last story for tonight. This is really touching. A dog has spent days waiting outside of a hospital in a place in Turkey. It's actually called Trebizon, where her owner was being treated for an illness. Her name is Bonkuk, and she followed the ambulance that transported her owner to the hospital. The man's daughter took the dog home, but the dog ran back to the hospital. She comes in every day at around 9 a.m. and waits until nightfall, according to the security guard. She doesn't go in, but when the door opens, she pokes her head inside. Six days she did this, and after six days, when her human papa was released, he and his doggy Bangkok went home when he was discharged. So dog and man back together again. She would not leave him. Six days she sat outside of the hospital. Isn't that something? God, wow! Make you what cry. It's, yeah. it's beautiful, and then they had a picture of the dog. She's white, medium sized, long, uh, curled up tail, kind of furry. Looks absolutely adorable, and you could just feel the love. Showed her with her nose poking through the hospital door, waiting, Aww. waiting, waiting for her papa to come out. Here's a quote for you from my heart to each one of you to think about: I cannot do all the good that the world needs. But the world needs all the good that I can do. <laughs> How true. Yeah, that's a good How one. True. Well, from my heart to each one of you <clears throat> special, beautiful, wonderful beings of light, you are all so incredibly special. Love each and every one of you. You're awesome. So have a beautiful couple of weeks, everybody, and I'll catch you next time. Thank you, Ariel. It's going to be a okay. great show tonight. Thanks, Anastasia. Great job as usual. And uh, you stay warm up there. Thank you. <laughs> Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, wow. That's just such heartwarming news. I'm getting the microphones open here. I get Lavendar's mic open, and I get Jenna's mic open. Okay. Jenna, welcome back to Starseed Radio Academy. We're so pleased that you're staying up late tonight so you can be with us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. That's our pleasure. Lavender, are you um, ready to go? Hello, Lavender. Is your yes, mute I button am. on? Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Okay, I thought maybe your mute button was on. All right. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Hi, Lavender. Oh. <laughs> well, hello, my dear. I uh, I want to call you... Annika, because that's the name that you've chosen to write under, if you don't mind, okay? Uh, well, the, it's the, the other way around. It's the other way around. <laughs> yeah, Jenna, 
Jenna is her her writing name. What her name is? I want to call her Annika. That's all right because everybody knows both names. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. So uh, first of all, I want to say that when I read your book White Lie, uh, I was in France with you. That's when I met you, and I read it on the airplane coming back from London. It was a, a an eight or nine hour flight, and I read the entire book. I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to sleep. I just wanted to read your book. And as we landed in Atlanta, uh, then I discovered that this needed to be a screenplay. So I'm really um, strongly supporting any kind of um, screenplay that's going to be written about this story. But I understand now that you uh, changed the title from White Lie to Ford. For forbidden Relic. So tell us a little bit about Forbidden Relic. Well, the Forbidden Relic is a title that I came up with after talking to Steve Barry. You probably know him. He's a New York Times best-selling author um, with uh, Cotton Malone as his main character. And um, um, I had him on a tour uh, for a week and um, he also got a copy of White Lie, when it was still called White Lie, and he said, that title doesn't really do it. Uh, you have to have a title that um, uh, pinches somebody's interest. Um, and so I came up with The Forbidden Relic, and he said, oh, I'm so jealous. I wanted that title myself. <laughs> so, um, but, so... It's called White Lie, the Quest for the Forbidden Relic. So I sort of glued both names together on the cover of the book and uh, and in the in the on on Amazon. So um, the Forbidden Relic is um, rewritten. Uh, it's the same story, but it's just in a better English. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the story. The story goes that two uh, professors, uh, female professors, uh, academics, they go back in, um, in a very, very uh, new sort of time warp uh, machine to go back in time. And uh, they have the job to find out whether Jesus was really crucified or not. That was the job they had to do. And um, so the whole the whole book is about the um, the things that we don't know about the gospels, about the, the truth behind, uh, behind the history of the man Jesus, um, and the the stories that are formed around it. And I'm just um, going back to the source. I've done a lot of research. And uh, I've gone back to the source outside the Bible, you know, going into the Jewish uh, and uh, the history of Judea, the history of Israel, and uh, see what they say about Jesus. Um, so I'm, I'm going back to the source in this story. And the, the beautiful thing about this story is that you get to see a Jesus that uh, a lot of people... Um, feel very, very close to. It's like um, the Jesus that they already had in their hearts. And it, it's not um, a godlike figure that looks, you know, cross all the time and, and punishes and, you know, 
it's a, it's a very, very gentle person, a very, very, uh, how, do you, how do you call that, um, a big mystic, an avatar, uh, who knows, uh, like the Essenes, how to heal. And um, so you, you get an, a whole other side of Jesus that is much more realistic um, than the the stories that you're being told at school, and um, the the rest of the story is about Otoran. Otoran is a pre World War II uh, author in Germany, and he's a relic hunter. He wants to know everything about the background of stories, legends, myths. And uh, he fell in love with the story of the Grail and Parsifal. And um, so he set out to the southern parts of France, to Montsegur. And he, he found out the real story about uh, the Grail and about uh, what it really is. And um, that it's really the, the way people should, you know, um, be. Uh, to be a good person, a bonhomme. Uh, and um, he he was drawn to the Cathars. And the Cathars were a Gnostic diversion of uh, of the Christians, and uh, they were the the most um, original Christians because they already had come over uh, in the beginning of the first century. Uh, following the Essenes because of the Roman occupation in Israel. So they, there were a lot of refugees here in this part of France and in northern Spain. And uh, they brought with them their culture, their religion, uh, their, their Gnostic feelings. And it's, um, it's that that makes this region of Occitania so incredibly interesting because if you want to know the source, if you want to know what really started everything and um, and be amazed of what, what has been changed by the church uh, over the 1700 years that uh, the church has been influential in the Western world. Um, so I think um, White Lie or The Forbidden Relic, um, it, it really opens up a new way of looking at the whole story and it goes really deep into um, the Mary Magdalene story, the the, um, the story of of the, the family of Jesus, um, but also uh, esotericism, so mysticism, uh, the Essenes. Uh, you learn a lot about what it is all about. And um, I've been studying this for a long, 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 long time, um, more than half of my life. And uh, by being a member of a, of a, of a Rosicrucian order, and um, I already knew a lot, but they confirmed everything in their lessons that I've already found out myself. And they have it from Essene scrolls, and I had it from a hunch. <laughs> so it's uh, it's interesting. It's very very interesting to read uh, that book, and it's the first of a trilogy. 
Yes, so I wanted to ask you about your your sequel, which goes into the mysteries of Egypt. Uh, what yeah. drew you to write about Agnaughton and chose that particular subject in that time period? Well, it started with um, with Renex again, because um, the theme that I am uh, writing the trilogy about, that I wrote the trilogy about is is uh, relic hunters trying to keep everything safe. It's like the librarian a little bit, and um, trying to find them and keep them safe in in a in a sort of library or museum or whatever, uh, so that they don't get lost or stolen or you know for lots of money. And um, so it started out with a ring, and the ring was one of a, a pair of stones called the Urim and the Thummim. And they were part of uh, the um, divination um, method that the brother of Moses, Aaron, used. So it's a high priest. uh, um, It's something that a high priest uses to make a decision. So black stone and a white stone. So it's like um, dice. (laughs) You let the divine energies decide. If you are ha- having doubts about somebody's guilt, you throw the, the, the white and the black rock. And uh, the black is, funnily enough, is yes, and white is no, <laughs> or maybe. <laughs> and um, so when the, um, the black stone comes closest to the answer, then the priest and in the beginning, that was Aaron, uh, he would make his decision. So it was part of the divination uh, ritual. And the two stones got separated. And one ended up in a ring, and the other one was lost. And it was lost because uh, it was used to be the stone of the Eye of Ra in uh, some kind of stick uh, in Egypt. So they, they had to go back to Egypt to the period where that stone was used by Aaron. But Aaron, of course, is Hebrew for Ark. So the original name of the priest that was the brother of, of uh, Moses was not Aaron. That Aaron was the name of the Ark. But again, you know, the, the, there are so many flaws in the, in the Bible, so many misinterpretations and and. Uh, flaws in in translations that um, uh, I'll I'll give you another example Uh, you know the the saying that um, uh, a camel would go through the eye of the needle before you can go to heaven well it has nothing to do with a camel camel is uh, is not the right word and not the right translation the right translation is rope if uh, if you think of rope and needle, then you can understand the story. <laughs> like a rope will never go through the eye of the needle, you know. A camel, camel, come on! You see, that that's one of the many, many, many translation flaws in the Bible. So if you go outside your your, your Christian uh, belief and you go to the Jewish belief, to the Hebrews to um, 
uh, to the Hebrew language and uh, you um, make a few Jewish friends <laughs> who can help you with, with all those things. You begin to understand that the Bible is, you know, like, like 40% mistranslated and, and uh, edited in the wrong way and re-edited and re-edited until it, um, it became something that the Western world could do something with. But it's not, it's not exactly what the Jewish people uh, try to uh, convey. And if you go to the original Hebrew Bible, if you look at the people who copy it today, they have to copy it exactly the same way. So everything that I've done in, in um, the Eye of Ra is to uh, find out what is the connection between Moses and Akhenaten. So that is really why I, I wanted to do that. And I've, I've actually done this a long, long time ago in an essay that I've, I've written about Akhenaten and about all the flaws that, uh, that also the historians and the, the academics have, have now admitted to. And um, uh, it's also about the time period and it's, uh, it's, there's, there's so many things. There still remains a question mark, of course. Everything that I write down is my thesis. It's, it's my idea, my theory, my hypothesis. And I can be wrong, but um, all I can say is that I've done a lot of work to get to the source of things and to the reality and the truth. And in the first place, because I want to know, and in the second place, of course, because I have this urge to share, <laughs> and that's why I've been writing those books. And uh, there's a lot of um, mysticism explained um, some people are interested in Freemasons, in Knight Templar, Esotericism, um, in Rosicrucianism, in Martinism. And if you want a simplified uh, explanation of the core of all that, then those books are full of it. They're, they're full of all that. So when you read that trilogy, and especially also my, my latest book, the Ringing Rocks of, of Atlantis. Um, it's, it's not really a closure of a trilogy because I've left a little bit of an open ending. But if I am not able to write a fourth book, then this trilogy stands because it, it, it's, um, it's like an Ouroboros that goes round in a circle and eats its own tail. And... Um, uh, in, especially in the Ringing Rocks of Atlantis, uh, I have opened up a lot of secret information. And um, I'm still alive. <laughs> Nobody's killed me yet. Um, so, <laughs> but, um, you know, there's a lot to learn from, from those books because it's, it's not me telling people, it's, sharing something that I find illuminating and very, very interesting. And it made me grow. It made me understand many, many more things than you could possibly imagine. And uh, I wanted to share that with people and let 
people think for themselves and let people pick out whatever they, they think is interesting and, um, and, and do that. So, so let me ask you, what, what is the ringing rocks? Where, where did the rocks come in to your story? Ah, that's a very good question. It came to me, the title, because I was thinking about the title, and everything about Atlantis, all the titles around Atlantis have already been used. So I had to use a title that was unique. And I thought, because there is a person in this book, um, in, in the ancient part of the book, the historical part of the book, called Elam, and Elam is a chanter. She, uh, she chants, she uses uh, a drum, she uses her voice, and everything in, in, in this world is vibration. And everything, what you, when you sing, you vibrate something. And it's it's another word for that is ringing. You know the ringing the ringing rocks is when you sit on a rock and you start uh, humming or you start singing or you start chanting. The rock will chant with you. And uh, this is <laughs> uh, reminds me a little bit of the Jesus Christ Superstar. One of the songs, the rocks and stones themselves will start to sing. Uh, <laughs> It's true. Every sound you make uh, is being uh, um, touched. It, it touches everything around you. So when you are singing like Elan did uh, um, on Santorini, uh, on when she was sitting on the rock and when she was chanting, she chanted so heavily and so uh, purely that the, the, the rocks of uh, Atlantis, the, you know, the, 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 the story of Atlantis, uh, which actually comes to a very tragic ending on Santorini. It was huge, and then it started to shrink, and, and it, it disappeared uh, on Santorini. Um, so she goes and she heals the past, by her ringing voice, the ringing sounds, the ringing chants she does, singing on the rocks of the ancient volcano that destroyed the island. Wow. I can almost see this happening as as you're talking. I can't wait to read this book. I don't have this book, but I will certainly get it. So, oh, my goodness, girl, you have done marvelous work. I know from 2013 to 2020, that this is the time that you decided to write this book, right? The last one. Um, so no, the, the all all three books uh, happened between 2011 and and last year May. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this was the, the the most challenging period for me. So I uh, I sort of escaped in uh, well in in sharing uh, my knowledge. Um, I've, you know, I've been fighting cancer for seven years, and uh, you never know what's going to happen, you know. So um, I wanted to to pass on whatever I found out in my life, 
before uh, anything happened to me. And um, the results are those three books. And um, it, it contains um, almost everything I know about what is important to know um, and to understand the world, the universe. And, um, you know, to, to know yourself is to know the universe and the gods. And um, so, so that is really something of um, a life's job. This is this is my life's work. Those three books are my life's work. Well, I love it. I love that you've done this, and I know that that your work is going to carry on long after you're gone and after I'm gone because the star seeds on the planet they need this information. I did want to ask you about a documentary that you did for TV called the 2019 Bethlehem Cave. Where is that? Yeah. Is that in France? That is in France. It's uh, um, the the Bethlehem Cave and the Hermit's uh, Cave are very close together. Um, the Hermit's Cave is where you end up or start your initiation uh, route through the mountain um, with uh, the Golden Rose Cross or uh, Lecturium Rosicrucianum uh, group. Uh, people, that um, the Bethlehem cave is a cave that has another opening on the other side. Very, it's, it's like a room. It's it's not really a deep cave. It's a room, and it it was used to hide, and uh, the Cathars used to hide there. But you know, everybody used to hide there. Um, it was away from the road. You couldn't see it. You could uh, put a cloth uh, in front of the openings and nobody could see the the flames of the fire that you're lighting at night and um you you had two um gates made of stone that you had to pass through uh which were guarded like monsegur it was like a petite monsegur you know um <clears throat> but this bethlehem cave is so important uh, because around the 25th of December, the sun shines directly into the cave onto a natural pentacle. And the pentacle, you know, you need a little bit of imagination to see a pentacle in it, but it has those five angles. And uh, you can actually stand in it if you're very, very um, <clears throat> brave and you're not afraid to break your legs. <laughs> but um, I've done it twice, and, and the first time was very scary. The second time, I just jumped into it <laughs> because I was very happy. But um, it's it's a it's a pentacle that, according to the Lectorium Rosicrucianum, which is uh, the order of the Golden Rose across that started in Harlem, and um, is now also connected to the Hermetic Library in Amsterdam. So um, it's, it's a big order, and it's a, a sister order of where I am uh, part of, the, the Rosicrucians, the ancient uh, and mystical order Rosicrucians. But um, they, uh, they feel that it's an initiation. If you stand in the, in the pentacle, which is just 
you know, like uh, an, an inch deep. So it's very, very difficult to keep your balance uh, with your back against the wall. And that is your proof of courage and your proof of faith that you're not going to fall off and that you're, you're going to be all right. And it's a sort of a challenge. And um, especially when you would do that, when the sun shines onto it uh, on the 25th of December, which is also on the 24th and on the 26th. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's that specific period in time, the, um, the winter solstice. And um, apparently in, in ancient times, it was considered holy because the pentacle was considered holy because um, <clears throat> it had not only the four elements of water, air, fire, and earth, it also had the fifth element of spirit. And so that means that those people who already believed that the pentacle or the pentagram was uh, important, it is because they knew that it was uh, the world and, and the whole universe is dualistic. It has spirit and it has body. It has a material part and it has an immaterial part. And that brings me back to Pythagoras. Pythagoras has been an enormous influence uh, 500, uh, 6th century BC uh, to the Essenes, to, the, to even the period around Jesus. And uh, it influenced the Benedictines here in France. And everywhere where you go where the Benedictines are, you will find a pentacle. And they understood much better the cave, the, the crypt with the Black Madonna inside under the earth. So the, 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 the Virgin Noire Souterre. And that is a, that is a Black Madonna that uh, illuminates the world even if there is no moon, no sun. Um, she's still there. You know, that is the soul of the earth. That is the earth mother. And that is why it's black. And black comes back to the black stone, to the black pillar, the black pillar of Solomon uh, with the white pillar. The white pillar was male. The black pillar was female. So when you go to uh, black uh, Isis, black Artemis, Black Madonna, uh, it's the female part of God, the material part of God with its soul inside. And it's a yes. It's not a no. It's a yes. It's love. So that is so deep that um, I needed to write those books to explain it and explain it in a dialogue mainly. Oh, that's great. So I wanted to ask you, you said it was on the History Channel and Discovery Channel. What's the name of, what's the name of it so people can find this, this series that you did uh, on, the district, on the Discovery Channel and the History Channel? Where, where do we find this? Well, it's, uh, it's being broadcast all over the world right now, and I don't know when 
and I don't know on which channels uh, exactly because I don't get that information. But um, um, the it's called Lost Relics of the Knights Templar. Okay, Lost Relics of the Knights Templar. Oh, we'll certainly look and find that. I can't wait to see it. So let me ask you, are you still doing tour guide groups and individuals yeah. in the, our country in, the, in southern France? Yes, exactly. Um, it's, uh, it, it, uh, it's something that I do um, uh, for groups. Uh, I do it for individuals or, uh, you know, uh, private, uh, smaller groups. Um, and I adapt every time to the group. So I never uh, uh, jam out the same story all the time. <laughs> um, I adapt to the group's needed um, uh, needs and, um, you know, what that group is. I sometimes have a group of Freemasons, and uh, they have very particular questions. So um, I never really prepare for anything. I just go along, hop in the bus, and see what happens. And yeah. uh, whatever has to come out will come out. Now, you also have tours to Greece. Is that is that right? Yes, I started doing tours to Greece, and I've done one only because I just started it. And uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, there is so much connection between this part and Greece that it's unbelievable. And I had to find out for myself in 2018. So I went there for a week on my own. And um, I went to places that you normally don't really go to, uh, certainly not with a bus, you know. Um, it's not on the bus tour. You, don't, uh, you have to um, create your own tour to do all those special things. And you have to find a tour operator there uh, who is uh, trustworthy, and I did. And um, I'm very happy with... Uh, with the travel company that is uh, located in uh, on Crete, and um, they do everything, all, all of Greece. And um, they're very good. They're not too expensive. They they know what you want. They hear you. They, uh, they try to do everything for you. And uh, I'm very, very pleased that I found them accidentally. Usually, it's an accidentally. And... Um, so that tour was about 10, 11 days. For me, it was 12 days because I, I had to be there before and after. But it was um, in May uh, 2019, and it was uh, a big success because we did everything we wanted to do and more. And we went to the place where the Athenes were, uh, and they were still called Therapeutae at that point, and they also chanted. They had all kinds of vibrations that they used for sick people. And um, in Epidaurus, you have your um, hospital, and uh, people who had the money for it 
they would go to Epidaurus to heal. It's like a spa uh, and everything. And then at the end of it, at the end of the hill, there was a hospital for very sick people who were given up. And they went there, and the whole floor was crawling with snakes. And uh, they had to lie on the bed, and uh, they were put to sleep by an opionate. And uh, they could only wake up after, like, a week or something, or sometimes three days would be enough. And um, you would have to wake them up with a sort of um, anti-dose of what they had. And um, the rest that they had, the sleep that they had, uh, made their bodies cure themselves. But also because of the chanting that the people did, the, the Essenes. And now it's a ruin, but the bench where the, where the Essenes were sitting to do the chanting, and especially the KE sound that is also in wide light, um, in my book, Wide Light, um, the KE sound is very, very uplifting because it helps the cells to 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 get better, to get a higher vibration. You you help your body to become a higher vibration and stronger, therefore, and your immune system grows. So most of the people that went there to die came out alive again. And I always wondered about the snakes. Why the snakes? And it absolutely calms you down so much. I had a snake on my lap um, last year or the year before, I don't remember. Um, and it, well, it was a little bit um, un, uh, uneasy. It was a bit restless when it was sitting on the lap of the man that caught it. And I said, can I hold it for a moment? So I sat on my, uh, uh, on my heels. I don't know how you say that in, in English. And, um, and I, uh, the man gave the snake to me and immediately the snake curl, curled up and fell asleep. And I became so incredibly peaceful that I thought, now I know why there were so many snakes in Epidaurus, because they give off this enormous uh, peace. And so the, the past couple of years, especially when, when we went to Greece, when I booked that last chair <laughs> on the plane, on a hunch, uh, even though I did not have any money for it. And and the whole thing started rolling. It was for a very unique 10 people. And um, and that was that was what I had to do. And we chanted in Epidaurus on the seats, the KE sound. And uh, I think it hadn't been done there for 2,000 years. And that was the same thing as in Galamus when, uh, you know, in, in 2011, I started chanting the Abun, you know, the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic uh, in Galamus, where it hadn't been uh, sung for 700 years. So for some reason, I'm being pushed <laughs> into places 
where uh, where something needed to be done, and it all has to do with the ringing of the area. You have to reawaken the area, the the the, the rocks where you were sitting on, and that that is amazing. That is just amazing, and I I can't believe. That, that I did all those things because I'm, you know, I'm very Dutch, very sober, very down to earth, and like, well, you know. <laughs> but you know, you in the meantime, you're doing very, very important things, and I'm just humbled by by it all. And you're drawing people in. You're drawing so many people in, and you're um, illuminating everybody, and and making people think, and making people. Uh, look towards the source of everything because everything after the source is 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 plumbing. You know, <laughs> it's it's not healthy anymore. Uh, so you have to go back to the source of everything. You have to go back to the source of Atlantis, uh, the the source, the academic source. You know, how did it happen? Uh, who lived there twelve uh, twelve and a half thousand years ago? In, in um, on the shores of the Atlantic Ocean and in the Mediterranean, and who were they? You know, uh, I'm answering all those questions in uh, in my third book. So let me let me ask you about Greece. So, did you have the experience of the ringing rocks in Greece when you were there? Oh yes, yes. I had Eve with me, and Eve uh, Eve Marie Roy. Uh, she's the chantress that really uh, exists. And she was the person, the personage that uh, that is Elan in my third book. And um, she really is what she is. She really does what she does. And uh, she's very wise. And she's working together with me, um, you know, for a, I, I think four years now. And um, she was with me in in that group. And uh, she also started chanting in the Zeus case, in the Pan case, you know, everywhere where she could chant, she, she chanted. So you could feel the impact on your own body, on your environment, and on the people around you. You could actually feel that. You feel it in your stomach. We had a couple of people sitting it out, not, not joining us, but just sitting on the edge of the, of the cave, or, or the area, and uh, just listening and just watching it. And um, I have a, a Rosicrucian uh, brother with me, a frater with me uh, as well. And he said, um, you were all glowing, you were all, you know, um, there was something happening there, really, really uh, um, illuminating the cave and just by your aura. It's it's amazing. So I wanted to ask you, Annika, did, does your husband Peter still uh be part of, of the of the tours that you do? Um well it's either uh um Peter Peter goes to Greece on his own um as a tour manager. Um, but um, because of COVID, it has been cancelled all the time. Um, and um, when we're here in Occitania, and when somebody stays just in the Dux de Joyeuse or in the Templier, 
which is now called the Rose de Pyrenees, <laughs> and it's been completely uh, uh, um, renovated. It's beautiful. And, and so, so when the so when the virus uh, lifts, did you'll start the tours again? Yeah, yeah. Uh, here we can do it the two of us, and in Greece it's either me or Peter because we have cats. Okay. So I know it's very late for you there, so I won't keep you much longer. I wanted to, to pass you over to my co-host, Arielle, who was also on the trip with me. You'll remember her uh, in, oh, yeah. in France. So thank you so much for being our guest tonight, and I want to encourage those that are listening to please get the trilogy of these books. I think they're going to be very important for everyone to read, especially if you're interested in Atlantis and uh, in, in, uh, Egypt and in France, because you take us all on a great ride, and I, and I love the first book. I did not read your second book, but I plan on getting the, the next two. So so back to you, Arielle. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay. Um, so I know it's 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 probably like two o'clock in the morning there, um, and I don't know if we would have any callers with questions. But um, if we did, do you have a few minutes? Of course. Okay, great. So um, if you do have a, a question or a comment for Jenna, uh, if you're already on the switchboard, then you just need to press 1 so that we know you want to come on and ask a question. If you're listening on the computer, um, then you'll need to pick up the phone if you're in the U.S. and dial 917 889 8292 and then once you're in you press 1 so we know you have a question but uh, you know as you were as you were talking about some of the places that um that Kathleen McGowan took us uh when we were all there in May of 2012 one of those places was the cave at Galamus and that yes, was yes. that that was just such a a huge day for us i mean really magical and um i remember that i mean the cave is huge and there was like you know there's an altar and there were some pews so it was actually kind of set up like a church am i is this the same one that you're talking about yes okay yeah and i i remember singing um in that in that cave and you know i mean as a as a singer, you hear acoustics like that, and it's really hard to keep your mouth shut because it's just like, oh, my gosh, you know, singing in a cave is just, it's a wonderful experience. But um, the, I mean, the energy in there, and I know when we came back and we looked at pictures, there were beams of light that were not visible to the naked eye, um, you know, just straight shafts of light going up and down. Um, and it, it was it was a very magical day and then um on the bus on the way back after we left the cave uh there was a, a storm behind us and so we were like driving in front of the storm and looking back there was a double rainbow oh, and that yes, was I yeah were you there did did you come with us to Galamis? i can't remember i'm sorry i think so because i sang Okay, okay, yeah, I mean, 
I mean, eight years ago it wasn't all that long, but um, you know, some things stand out in my mind, and other things I I I don't really remember because it was just it was such a uh, an altered state of consciousness. Yeah. But that was yeah, yeah. yeah that was a a a very um, pivotal transformative time. I mean, Starseed Hotline was just kind of um, in its very beginning stages. So, uh, but I, I just, I loved the time that we had there and, uh, you know, meeting you and, and, and Peter, who's just a, an absolute doll. I mean, he's, he's a wonderful person. So, yes, um, yeah, <laughs> well, you would, you would know. Um, so, You've done all, you've done so much in you know radio shows, TV shows, traveling here and there, you know writing and all that. Um, I just want to thank you for your dedication because you have been on this for almost your whole life. This has been yeah. your, your since you were a child. You yeah, were you were so. just yeah wanted to know the lost history. Um, yeah, I don't know. Me, but um, for some reason, I I always wanted to know the truth because I was lied to at school, and and when you go to school, you uh, expect to hear the truth, and when you find out that there's something wrong about what you're being told, uh, I spent the rest of my life, uh, of my childhood really, um, in in the libraries because I wanted to look everything up. Uh, because I didn't trust my teachers, right? You know, well, even so I, I mean, even that you know, as they say that you know, history favors the victor, um, or or something like that. Uh, yeah. So I mean, even even books that are just rehashing the lies. So even I mean, yeah. even in a library, you have to know, um, you know, what you're what you're reading and I think it comes down to your, just your gut feeling when you know something is true there's something inside of you that just knows it's true uh, you know yeah. as as yeah. Lavendar always says truth knows its own source so yeah. when when you hear that you just know it and and you yeah. don't need anyone to to tell you it's true because you just know Exactly. Yeah. Everything yeah. you need to know is inside of you. That's true, and and you are are sharing this with other people, um, and all the work and the research. Um, the the thing that I one of the things that I remember most about you is that you are so um, well researched. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but but your your research is impeccable. Oh, and, thank you. you know, yeah, I mean, and you really, you, you've gone into all different kinds of texts because, yeah. I, I mean, myself personally, I think that there there might be a little bit of truth in this culture and then another little bit in another culture. And, and I think the way it was maybe um, designed is that all these cultures have to come together in cooperation because they all have a little piece, but nobody's got the whole picture. And that's exactly. basically what that is the joke of God, you know. Um, uh, make a puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle, and uh, right. it, it takes a lot of of work to get the whole puzzle together. 
but when uh, when you do, you're beginning to see the picture. Exactly, exactly. And I, if uh, if everyone would just uh, forgive me for making another Star Trek reference, there was an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation where an ancient um, program, if you would, was divided up into all different pieces and hidden within the DNA of many different um, um, races, planets throughout the system. And the design was that they would have to come together in cooperation because no one had all the pieces, so they had to cooperate. And when they put them all together, it unlocked the program, and revelations were, you know, coming everywhere. So, and I kind of feel like that's something that you've done. You've gone and you've, yeah. you've, you've looked at all those pieces, and then you put together and then weave them into a story that's very readable. Uh, you know, it's, it's yeah. not just a, you know, not like an encyclopedia of facts. You know, you make no, no, it no. personal. Yeah. I make it very personal. I have a, a, a cast of of personages that um, that each have their own problems and their own idiosyncrasies and their own stories to tell. And um, I have several red threads going through the story, so you're, you're being tucked into the story from the beginning. And um, so I'm, I'm, yes, I, I, I have to make it fun to read because um, like a child having to swallow uh, some kind of uh, medication, uh, you, you put it in a cookie. You right. Know? <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, and it doesn't, it, you can make it uh, juicy and delicious yeah. with yeah. your characters. And then when, and then easily you could slide in the you know nuggets of truth, um, and they go down a lot a lot more easily when when it's fun. And everybody you know? is is very human. It's it's all very human. People have their human problems, their human uh, questions, um, their human doubts. You know, so um, the characters they really come alive, and some people they 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 sort of um, understand more about themselves by reading about the personage that is very close to their heart. Right, right. Yeah, if you can identify with the character, um, it really does draw you in. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so and it makes you understand more about people's um, uh, why people do this or why people do that. Um, it's it's very very important to uh, grow an understanding and a compassion because there's always a story behind that person, his uh, activities or uh, reasons for doing something or saying something. And uh, so I go really deep into the the characters. I I go not really in the first book because that's a that's a very fast moving story, but in the second you get to know the characters a little bit better, and in the third you get the characters complete. So um, it it really is a, a a journey into soul searching and 
uh, why people act the way they act and what could be behind it. Right. Well, you know, um, if if you were well, you were here in, when when Anastasia was doing the news, and you know, when I hear stories of of compassion, uh, you know, the random kindness of strangers, uh, it just it fills my heart so much that um, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's really a sign of the times. As yeah. um, we mentioned last week, um, on February 10th, just eight days from now, there will be seven planets in Aquarius. And, I know. And that wow. that has got to be the 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 official beginning of the age of Aquarius. And and yeah. part of those, you know, for those of you who remember that that song from the uh, was it the 60s or 70s? Um yeah, the yeah. part that sticks in my mind is, you know, no more farces, no derisions, um honesty and truth, you know, people um feeling kinship for strangers, uh, bringing us all together. And then at the same time, you have all of this this revelation of of truth in in your work that is I mean, it has to be the backdrop for the age of Aquarius, where the truth finally comes out after two thousand years of of the age of Pisces, when everything is hidden, you know, hidden yeah. agendas and and victimization, um, you know, and and suffering, and that's just that, that, those days are. Gonna, I'm like, we're we're I'm going with it, you know. Next week, that's all behind us. So, yeah, I, mean, I have. Might- yeah, well, you know, I mean, there there are going to be people that that try to hang on to the old way, but I mean, just after listening to um, Anastasia's news and things that are happening all over the world, um, you know, it's it's in Scotland, it's in uh, what was it, the Philippines, she said, and then in in Panama and in you know northern Alberta, Canada, I mean, th- these things are happening all over the world. It's not just like um, you know isolated incidents in one little place. So yeah, that is so encouraging. It is. And you know the thing, um, the the news and what you get uh, on social media or wherever, on uh, it, it's always based on drama. And um, there are so many beautiful things happening that nobody ever knows about. And um, I think it's a wonderful idea to sum up a couple of things that that uh, give hope to mankind because mankind is deliberately being held in a state of depression and um that means that you have um you know you 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 lean towards commercialism because you want to buy something you want to buy new clothes because that makes you happy uh, you want to buy uh, uh, some kind of food or, you know, comfort food or whatever, because that makes you happy. And um, if if the world is being kept depressed, it's good for econom- the economy, it's good for co- commercialism, capitalism. And um, I think there is a there is a moment where we have to stand still and say, no more, you know, I am in charge of my own happiness 
and I choose what I read. I choose what I listen to. And um, if you focus on the positive only, uh, not being able to do anything about anything else, you know, you're powerless on your own. One tree cannot stop an avalanche. So um, if you cannot do anything, then you can do something by spreading light, love, good news, um, things that do go right, positivity. I completely agree. And that is trying to uplift the vibration of the earth. And so we come full circle to the um, what I had said in the uh, very, very beginning of the show. For the past two years, there has been a massive awakening. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and, and we see it from our vantage point. People all over the world are are wanting to know, you know, I think I'm a star seed. I, I think I'm waking up, and and you know, of course, we have other people that have been awake for decades. But the thing is that all of these new people are waking up, and and people want to know. It's like, well, okay, I'm a star seed. What do I do? And yeah. it's you know, you are here to hold the light. Okay, yeah. well, what is hold the light? Hold the light means you focus on on up spiral energy. Anything exactly. that, is, that is, you know, based, you know, heart-based, compassion, um, you know, taking care of your, your, you know, your human brothers and sisters, um, you know, holding the light. And even, even it can be so tiny that, you know, when you, when you go to the grocery store to get your, you know, your marketing done, uh, you smile at people, you know, help somebody that, that maybe is, you know, struggling with packages, but those tiny little things go out and magnify and amplify. So we all need to um, think of ourselves more as the the um, the lighthouse, helping others yeah. to find their way. Exactly. And that's, that's part part of the shift. And you have been a major lighthouse, <laughs> and we're very very grateful. And um, thank you so much for your work um, and your dedication. So um, I I want to uh, just kind of recap a little bit here uh, because we almost never get callers, um, maybe one or two (laughs) every couple of months. So um, it's it's not something to be taken personally if no one calls. So um, I just wanted (laughs) wanted to recap that your website where people can um, learn more about you and your work is um, Jenna Doot, and Jenna is spelled J-E-A-N-N-E, like we would spell Jean, and then the last name is D, like David, A-O-U-T, dot com, Jenna Doot, dot com. And your books are on Amazon, they're on Kindle, they're they're e-books, um, and your the ringing rocks of Atlantis is hasn't even been out a year yet, so um, those you can, they can get all of those and uh, and learn more. Oh, and I did want to mention uh, I wanted to thank you um, for doing such a great job with our dear friend 
I'm only going to use his first name, but you'll know who I'm talking about, James. Oh, right, yes. Yes, yeah, he was he was um, on tour with a, a a band, and when he was in France, I said, you've got to go see um, Jeanne Adut, uh, and he did, and he you gave him a personal, private tour that just blew him away. So thank you <laughs> so, so much for being so kind to our dear sweet James. Yeah, oh, it was fun. He was he was a really really. Uh, I I knew he was deep, and I knew he uh, understood everything I said. So um, I I yeah I had a really good day with him, and um, yeah I, I it, he's he's a wonderful guy. Yeah, and I'm sure that he, I mean, he'll remember that for the rest of his life um, because it was just a magnificent tour. So, you know, when when travel opens back up again, um, if if you want to go and, and have a personalized, very private, um, you know, for you or a couple of people, um, let us know and we'll, or go, if they went to your website, there's contact information there. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, they just go to the go to the website and um, and make sure you you tell them that um, that you heard about her from Starseed Hotline, and uh, it'll be a great trip. So Thank you very um, much. you're so welcome. So we're going to wrap it up right now. And thank you so much for staying up late. I know it's the wee hours of the morning for you now because you're in France, but. Um, Thank you so much for the work you do, for the uh, for staying up and talking to us about it. Uh, we're just you're a light on the planet, and you keep it oh. up. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. It's a, it's an honor for me, and uh, I would like to say hi to everybody and uh, thank you for listening, because uh, I'm you know. Uh, because if, uh, because it's night, I'm not really good in my English, <laughs> and I'm oh, uh, I'm grateful for uh, for for your patience and uh, and for everything. So thank you very much for listening, and uh, perhaps we will see each other uh, at some point in time again. I'm sure we will. So you take lovely. care and thank you so much. Jenna. Thank you. Okay. okay. Have a wonderful day. And that is it for us here tonight. We'll be back in two weeks. And um, we are going to have Craig Campobasso in, in two weeks' time. And he has um, been on our show before uh, with the stranger at the Pentagon. And he's got some really <laughs> exciting um, a new book that he's got out. So be sure to join us in two weeks. And until then, take care. Show love every time you can. Live in compassion and give gratitude. Until next time, bye-bye. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 